Here in America, work is in trouble. We've offshored our manufacturing, sent away good jobs, and lost so much ability to make things. American Giant is a company that's pushing back against this tide. They make high-quality clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more, right here in the USA. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, promo code STAPLE20. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. What's up, Justin? We're back. We are back. Episode three. Wow. Yeah, yeah man. Major milestone for us, right? Uh, yeah, and you haven't fired me yet? Uh. <laughs> I was kind of thinking the other way around on that one. Everybody keeps saying, you talk too much. The, the other guy doesn't talk as much. Why not? Have you met me? Because you can't shut me up and it's like I gotta poke you with a stick just to say something that's true the, hey. la- the last one you kept going well what do you think well nobody cares what I think they- I do no they do they don't care oh, well note to self hey who's this guy over here I don't know no we got Mr. Christopher Santaros in the house today and I am myself extremely honored to have him in the studio with us. I'm very honored to be here. <laughs> We're glad that you're honored. <laughs> hey, Chris, what's that thing on your arm? Um, I have a cast on my arm right now. It goes from the base of my shoulder all the way down to my pinky finger. Um, I just can't help it unless I'm destroying myself in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, so what'd you do? I was severely injured in a a jujitsu tournament, um, kind of a freak accident, where it was in a kind of a scramble transition, and uh, my arm got pinned between one leg. The opponent lost his balance, and all his body weight fell uh, to the ground, taking my arm with it. So the or the way it was explained to me was called a distal bicep tendon rupture in my left arm. I don't recommend it for anybody if it's yeah, sounds painful. Knows. It's been not pleasant. Jiu-jitsu. Yes, sir. What tell me what is your relation with jujitsu? What are you, what are you doing jujitsuing people? What, what <laughs> I mean why why are you even in that situation? <laughs> Um, man, you talk about long stories, but, uh, jujitsu is, of course, is based in, started in, it's a Japanese art that, uh, the Brazilians have basically taken over. Uh, obviously the Gracie family is the, the most famous of all of that group that are bringing it forward and its popularity is exploding across the United States of America. For me, it's, uh, just a kind of a a new challenge for martial arts that I've a different style than what I've been doing for the last 45 years. I picked up on it with an opportunity about two and a half years ago now. Um, and, uh, I've been really been enjoying the challenge, uh, a whole new sort of, a style of well, discipline, uh, Uh, body health but also I've always had that thing about kind of like being able to to defend not just myself but even anybody else that uh that might need my help in if it ever came down to it so I was reading about your bio um well I was I was trolling your Facebook page uh and on there it says that you are a seventh Don, seventh Dan. I'm not sure which pronunciation's right. Um, in Taekwondo, is that is that right? Yes, sir. And then you also own a studio where you teach at. Um, 
what does it take to be a seventh don in Taekwondo? I mean, is that like a seventh degree black belt? Is it yes. what people would understand? Yes. Um, and, it, and we had expressed this earlier. There's a, every organization has its different uh, ways that it ranks its students. And uh, uh, my brother and I were extremely fortunate that uh, as teenagers, we uh, were growing up in a grew up in a small town in upstate New York, but out of nowhere, um, two of the greatest uh, Korean grandmasters of Taekwondo in the world that ever lived just so happened to show up there, put down roots there for a while, and we found them. And as soon as we saw it, we were completely captivated by it, where it became, you know, seven days a week, you know, five, six hours a day instead of one like most people train these days. We'll train a one-hour class and go home, you know, maybe two times a week, three times a week if they're diehards. We had, we were teenagers, so nothing better to do and uh, just extremely fortunate just because of the level of the skill of, of these uh, gentlemen instructors that we had. Seventh on... It's the culmination for me of 45 years of practicing. Uh, I've had a couple uh, injuries that have, you know, kind of taken me off path or made me delay in moving forward. But, you know, I always strive to get back and uh, made it part of my life. You know, not just something I did, but that it actually became uh, an actual part of my life. So you're big into the... the you're, you're, you teach Taekwondo. Yes. Am I saying that right? Correct. Okay. And in teaching the, uh, the Taekwondo, how is that, I mean, what is, what is the major discipline there? How is that different from like karate or jujitsu or something like that? Uh, there's cultural differences in the, in the arts. Taekwondo, of course, came from Korea. Uh, karate came from Japan. Kung Fu came from China. You know, all those other arts are, are all kind of based in, you know, what country and culture they came out of. There was different philosophies uh, in, in uh, they call them quans per se, as to the groups that came forward from history, you know, coming forward in, into the present times now, where there was variations in technique, variations in style, variations in disciplines, um, numerous differences in technique and style. I would say that um, out of all of them that I saw, that was the one that, that seemed to fit me and my brother the best. But again, the opportunity with, with these uh, Grandmaster instructors that we had was a, a big reason uh, that I chose that style for, for ourselves. So while trolling the um, Facebook, I also saw on there where you evangelize or you're an evangelist at the Disciples of Yeshua HaMashiach. Tell me about that a little bit. That's tongue-in-cheek because I'm, I'm, I'm really bold about my faith. Uh, uh, everywhere I go, I'm going to try to, it seems like I'm going to be magnetized or drawn to the people that want to talk about the things of God, uh, you know, the power of God, the truth, the transforming uh, power that he has in a person's life. And so that's really more of, I think that's more of a tongue-in-cheek thing than me actually being uh, a person that's part of some sort of organization. Uh, that may have linked off because I was just writing it in there, and there may be somebody like that out there that actually uses that name. But that name, of course, is the name of Jesus in Hebrew. Right. So this is kind of a contradiction in terms or kind of an oxymoron, if you will, in, in my mind, because most of the people that I know, and I know very few, that are as uh, disciplined and as taught and as... Um, well-versed in a martial art as you are to the point where you're, you know, one step away from being like the king of it all. Um, and, and being a Christian that, that doesn't seem to go together. 
usually you're you're looking at more of a a Buddhist or a Hindu or, or you know something along the 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 Asian um, realm of spirituality and Christianity and Japanese Chinese Korean they don't go together. What is your story, man? How, how did you get? How did you go from being this this grandmaster, you know, Taekwondo, to being this evangelist and and just lover of Jesus? Go all the way back as far as you want. Okay, uh, born and raised in upstate New York, uh, lower middle class family, uh, two brothers, uh, mom and a dad, of course, and uh, played all kinds of sports growing up. Baseball, football, ice hockey was really our thing. Uh, it was uh, something, again, that was really, I was passionate about. I was a little bit on the smaller side, but I trained hard, hard, hard to become skilled and was able to play basically above my level at one point coming into like the age of 13 to 14 years old. Being small, I got caught one time and it ended my hockey career. A big guy caught me after I had made him look stupid a couple times. <laughs> and uh, he caught me against the boards and just smoked me and broke my shoulder. Hence, my ice hockey career is gone. Just after that was, you know, within two years, uh, we were introduced to Taekwondo. And once I saw doing, to me, it was extraordinary because I was a little guy and this guy was a tiny bit bigger than me. And he was pulling off those things that everybody talks about in season movies, but he was doing it in front of my own eyes. And, you know, it was just something that basically made my jaw drop. I remember my brother telling me, you know, come on, you got to go, you got to go, you got to see this guy. And I'm like, ah, I don't want to go, I don't, I don't want to go, I don't want to go. Two months go by, and he's just begging me every single day. And at that time, you know, we were inseparable. Um, but he kept going, and so finally he just talked me into going there. And this guy walks out of his office, no warm-up, and takes a you know an 80-pound heavy bag, swings it to the ceiling, and does what you would say is called like a step-over spinning back kick, and just folds the thing. It launches, and my jaw dropped. And my brother is across the, the training floor looking at me and pointing at me. His eyes are really big, and he's like, I told you, I told you. And that was it. I was hooked. I was there. I was on the floor. The next night, and from that point forward, there was just there was no stopping us. We were there two hours before anybody got there, cleaning the school, getting private lessons before the classes started. We would train the three hours of the class, and then he would give us stuff to do, and he gave us the key and said, here, stay as long as you want, but I have a life. And he basically would give us a lesson, and we would do it till... We were drenched and, you know, exhausted, and we did it again. We did that for two full years straight, um, and I don't remember missing any time at all. As far as uh, moving forward, my brother then moved to Texas uh, after we tested to first-degree black belt and started expanding the organization with those two Korean Grandmaster instructors into Texas. And I had an advertising job in New York, so I stayed there. And I was miserable. You do not look like an advertising type to me. I, I'm not. I'm the take every advertising exec you ever met and you know look on the back page because that's I'm not not anymore. That's, but by my ad or else. I'll... At that time, that was my identity, <laughs> though. <laughs> that was really my identity, though. Is is that was my career, and if anybody knows that business, it's a thankless business. Um, so in one fell swoop, I lost two Korean grandmasters, my training partner, my best friend, and my brother. Um, and it started a spiral. Um, and this is where it gets dark. So hold on. And I'm not ashamed to tell this story because it has a great ending. And that is, is that uh, once that element was out of my life, that discipline was gone, I was bouncing around through the schools up there uh, and I didn't fit in anywhere because I was basically one of the favorites of those guys that just left. And now I was the black sheep of everybody that was left up there when they left. Um, but again, losing that amount of loss for me, I was not a Christian. I was 
take everything you know about Jesus and throw him out the window, and there I was. Uh, I had all this talent, but it was aimless. I worked in advertising, and like I said, that's a thankless business. The amount of pressure that's involved in that is overwhelming, so I turned to drugs and alcohol, of course, to just get rid of that feeling, those Friday nights. And then it went into, it didn't matter what night it was after a while. And I started to lose hope. Um, I could still, what do they call them, functioning alcoholics. I could do my job because I had done the homework previous to be skilled, but I was basically on autopilot, you know, just aimlessly wandering through my life at that point, and it got really bad. It got really bad to the point of where I started making horrible decisions with my life. I hurt people that I loved dearly, uh, one in particular that, you know, is is just haunted me my whole life ever since. Um, but there was no way out for me. I, I remember, uh, you know, and I just mentioned this to Justin that I remember being so jacked up on drugs laying in bed with my heart pounding through my chest and and just saying is this it is this the way that it ends this was at the end of 15 years of this you know it that's how long it had stretched for me and crying out and I remember saying you know if you're real you know you better do something fast because you know I, I I got nothing um, and my brother, again, had moved to Texas uh, years before and had built an organization. And he loved me dearly. Uh, and he, I basically had nothing. I had no job. I had been uh, unceremoniously kicked out of my agency after serving this guy for 15 years with no pension, no severance pay or anything like that. It was just like, get out. You got, you got two weeks to take care of your affairs. Uh, my brother called me out of nowhere and said, I have a school, and the guy, you know, basically is not going to follow through for me. And so this whole time, you know, he sensed that if he could get me out of the element that, that I had a chance and that he had gotten saved and filled with the Holy Spirit previously um, and, and was walking with, with Jesus for, for quite a few years before this happened. And I remember leaving New York uh, completely under the influence over the July 4th weekend, uh, 1994, uh, with just a blanket and my clothes in my car and drove to Texas, still under the influence. When I arrived three and a half, four days later, I was still under the influence, if that lets you know anything. And of course, there, you start to go into withdrawals. And, you know, I was medicating with alcohol. I was not doing drugs anymore, of course, because well, I didn't have access to them. But I remember sitting on the curb out in front of my brother's house, and he came out, and he's like, are you okay? And I'm like, I don't know, man. I, I don't know if I'm going to make it. And this whole time, looking at him, I was saying, like, there's there's something really different about him. I can't, I don't really know what it is. But whatever he's got, I got to have that. And, and that's that might sound cliche, but I remember that vividly in, in, in my mind. And he would always go to church, and he'd be like, Sunday would roll around, and he'd be like, hey, man, do you want to go? And I'd be like, ah, I don't want to go, I don't, don't want to go. And Until at one point, we were at a backyard party, and he had one of his friends, and we're sitting around having a conversation with a couple of his buddies, and it comes across, you know, the things of God. And the guy says to me, are you saved? And I go, well, I believe in God. And he goes, so does Satan. <laughs> and I remember getting punched right in the heart, and I slid up onto the end of the chair, and I said, "All right, you have you have my uh, you have my attention." And the guy basically ministered to me for two and a half hours and led me to salvation. And at that point, in some guy's backyard, uh, the next Sunday, I went to the church and sat way in the back of the Encourager Church. Uh, Wallace Henley was preaching. I remember correctly. I don't know. He, I guess he's kind of famous. When, but he was back then, nobody knew who he was. But it was as if he was walking through the whole service back to me and going, and you, and just tapping me in the chest. And my whole family was sitting between me and my brother, looking to the left down the aisle. 
And he said everything that the guy was saying was just cutting me in my heart. And so I remember leaning forward like this, and my brother was already face forward down there smiling at me and nodding at me with a big smile on my face. Of course, altar call comes, and whether I had uh, prayed a prayer of salvation previously, I think I sprinted, you know. And there was guys that laid hands on me and that prayed for me to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and there's a lot of controversy on this, but I know what happened to me, and it was unignorable, and it really did happen to me. So, you can argue doctrines all you want, but nobody can take it away from me because it happened to me. Uh, From that point forward, to say that I was changed is is an understatement because God dealt with my heart. He dealt with my heart more than anything. Um, I'm trying to synopsize here. Let's take a break real quick. So (laughs) that got really long-winded on my end, I believe. So uh, to synopsize, moving forward from the time I was saved until now, which was about uh, 1996, I remember the last time that I had a sip of beer, and it was actually wonderful because as soon as it hit my lips, the Holy Spirit said, where's this going to end up where it always does? And it was vivid, and it was an impression in my heart that I'll never forget because I spit it out and I washed my mouth out and I've been alcohol free for over 25 years now. Wow. With no desire, he reached in and dragged, pulled that right out of me. Um, As far as my discipleship, I felt like I was extremely uh, blessed to come under, uh, I guess, a discipleship of a gentleman named Jim Scalise who was a head of Prison Outreach International down here in Texas, a guy who was a former drug dealer, uh, wanted by the FBI, was facing back-to-back life sentences, and was released from prison and started evangelizing, preaching the gospel in the prisons, and has lived by faith for uh, the last 25 or 30 years of his life. And this guy was the first man who ever showed me the unconditional love of God. And so I dragged on this guy's coattails all the time. It's yeah. just like, where Jim goes, miracles go. I could go on for hours telling you stories about the things that I witnessed and the miracles that happened around this man. Again, nobody can tell me that I'm lying because I was firsthand witness to it. I saw it happen. I watched the way that he, God moved through him in the lives of other people. Um, he, he passed away. And I was bouncing around from church to church. Um, it's, you know, and uh, I really liked Lakewood for a long time. I was actually there when John Osteen was still alive. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and I really liked the way he preached because he preached fire. You know, he preached the power of God. Uh, there was other uh, people that I feel like had a huge impact on me uh, disciple-wise. Uh, Kenneth Hagen and Kenneth Copeland. I, I really tried to read everything I could from those gentlemen. Uh, there's a lot of controversy about uh, preachers these days, but I also know that you know the Holy Ghost will lead you if you ask him as to what is truth. You know, there doesn't have to be arguments so much arguments about doctrine and such. It, if, if you come into a place where you're submissive to the things of God, and I believe you put yourself out there, I believe that he meets you where you are. Um, coming through to, to present day, you know, going through all the regular struggles of life, money, um, these situations, is it's become so clear and evident to me that... Uh, my life is extraordinary for as simple as it is because I I do what I love for my career. I don't make very much money. I made way more money in advertising in New York, but I was broke and I, was, I had a hole in my heart and I was missing 
you know, the Messiah in my life. I, Really, what did I have? I had nothing. I had a pocket full of money, and I was addicted, uh, afflicted, you know, just I told Justin that it's like nothing mattered but my pleasure. Um, it's different now. My my thing now is prayer. I, I, I like praying for people. I'm, I I had a, an evangelist pray over me at, at some meeting a long time ago and, and uh, started studying spiritual warfare. And, you know, that that's not for everybody. Uh, you know, it doesn't mean that you don't have faith, but it's a different realm. You, you know that. You know that. Um, I'm not scared. I'm not scared. I, nice. What I've been delivered from, man, it's just it's not a word that I use. So, Chris, um, I've had the privilege of knowing you for seven, eight years now. You've been one of my best friends, closest yeah. confidants. Um, you've been an encourager. A counselor to me, a brother by my side, and so forth. You mentioned earlier um, a man of faith, and that's what I would classify you as. Um, your prayer warrior, man of faith. Um, you devour the word every day. Um, and now we're we're approaching the subject of prayer, and you know you're on our local prayer team at church. Uh, you're not afraid to, you know, lay hands on people. You know. Um, not just pray for healing, but um, speak healing and claim healing and claim the power of the, sp the, the written word over people as God has declared them being set free and so forth. <clears throat> but is prayer for you always um, 100% success? And do you challenge Do you have challenges in your prayer life? Absolutely. Um, that's very perceptive of you you knowing me probably better than anybody else. Um, no, it's, it's, again, it's something you, I would challenge every man out there. It's like, uh, and this is maybe just a little bit off topic, but if you think that life is hard living as a Christian, man, it's like it's easy to live for the devil. It's hard to live for Jesus. It's hard to live for Jesus. As far as prayer Let's face it, some days are better than others on, on, on those situations. When you get overwhelmed and you're in the fire, you're the one who's being beat, you know, and struck and, you know, and that the principalities have come against you, your family, you know, in sickness or, you know, suffering or any way, shape or form like that. It's like you got two choices there, right? You either dig your heels in and you go to the father and you take his word and you start swinging it like a sword or you're going to get wiped out. I mean, your adversary, he's not going to go, oh, I think he's had enough. He's, he's going to ramp up against you. Yeah. And that's, that's, I think, what, what's become really apparent for me is that, again, I'm not afraid to step into that realm. Um, you know, what can, what can he do to me? He, yeah. he's, he's got nothing left. He can take my life, but all he's doing is sending me home. By this point forward, I would hope that my boldness had anything to do with anyone ever coming into contact with me in agreement for whatever concern that they have to get them set free from that stronghold. It has really nothing to do with me except for being that, and we've discussed this often, being that pivot point, that catalyst between heaven and earth where some won't dare to go for whatever reason, whether they're nervous about it, they think they're unworthy, um, I don't have that feeling anymore. So there's a lot of people who have um, struggles with prayer, either praying with somebody, praying out loud, um, praying in the quietness of their own house or their own heart. Um, question that's been kind of burning in my mind is, so you being um, a very strong prayer warrior, believing that God has already purchased our healing, uh, it says in First um, Peter, Isaiah, uh, and everything. <clears throat> so I'm sure that when you had your, your accident with your bicep, you immediately went to prayer. And you probably, if I had to guess, declared healing over your arm. But as we stare at you right now, you're in a cast. So were you disappointed that you didn't receive immediate he healing? And how have you ministered to yourself <laughs> in that reality 
Yes, I was disappointed. I was absolutely disappointed. I was basically crushed uh, in in my own heart for a moment. Um, and, you know, everybody could say whatever they want about it, but I am that crazy guy that believes what he said, that he meant what he said, and that there's power in his words from the moment that he said, let there be light, it's the same now in this day and age. Um, I personally believe that the biggest problem is is that his word isn't being spoken, um, that we're actually in day-to-day life are basically using the words of the enemy and not in being just because we're being flippant about it. Uh, the power of words, life and death being in the power of the tongue, and you shall eat the fruit thereof. That's not if you do this, if you believe right. He's saying, you know, and <sighs> prayer. Is my, is my, is my arm healed and manifest? No. But you and I both know that I'm subject to the realm that my flesh dwells in, and that's the chaos of the world. It says, pressed but not crushed, persecuted, not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. All of those things, right, is saying like, yeah, this can happen. Yes, it will happen. He even told us it was going to happen. In this world, you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. So I'm going to take it and I'm going to go, okay, this happened. But you also said you'd quicken my mortal body by your spirit that dwells in me, that you would renew my strength as the eagles, that I've had other injuries, one a spinal injury in 2009, that a neurosurgeon said that my recovery was borderline supernatural uncanny. That's where I take him. It's like I meet him where I am. He meets me where I am in faith. I've used doctors. Have, does that make me weak in faith? I don't think so. He, anybody who's got that kind of faith, man, I want to meet that guy. I really do. Um, or that could walk in that sort of consistent sort of boldness. Um, I don't say it wax and wanes for me, but man, I believe it. And, and is there a timeline? It's not my timeline. You guys both know that. Right. Chris, what would you tell somebody? I mean, I know for me... Um, in, in in my walk and in my journey, I, I've gone through, like you said, you know, droughts or, uh, <clears throat> you know, crises of faith. But what would you say to someone that prayers, I mean, prays unceasingly, does, does what the Bible says, um, you know, and continues to pray and continues to pray. And, and in their eyes, at least, they're not seeing those results. They're not seeing the, the, the fruits of, of, you know, God coming forth in their life. They're not seeing that. Um, and they start to get very discouraged. And, and the more, the more they pray, the more they get discouraged because it's just not happening. What would you, what would you say to someone in their prayer life about going through that? This is a controversial subject. Um, this is, this is, a, uh, uh, this can be a real sticking point for some people. So if I'm going to tell somebody, remain consistent steadfast that's the word i would use steadfast and then just when you think that all is lost man you got to go back in your own heart and in your own mind and you got to remember every single time that he made a move in your life and he brought you through when it looked like there was no chance and there was no way and then all of a sudden you're standing here and you got a testimony of his goodness and his power in your life, then number one, go back to that. Because he said he'd never leave us nor forsake us. He didn't take us this far to leave us twitching in the wind all by all on our own and just going, yeah, well, not this time, buddy. That's not, that's not the way he works. And you know that he's a good God. As far as um, what I would do, I would press in. I would go, I would go into the word and I would dig out every single verse that I could find, and I would write them, one right after the other, and I would pray over it, and I would petition him. I would go one-on-one into the throne room, and I would petition him and say, Daddy, you said this. Daddy, you said this. You said this. And I know that you're a faithful God. Number one, I know you hear me. Number two, I'm your child. 
And you said that I was blood-bought royalty. I have, I'm an heir to this promise. Now, I'm taking you at your word. And at this point, it's not like, okay, you've done all, maybe you've done all you can do. But he's a faithful God. You know, he, he, he loves us. I'd always thought that if we could ever, ever navigate the tiniest bit of understanding of how much he loves us, that many, many lives would be completely different than they are, that so many more people would walk in liberty and freedom, but they feel unworthy of his love, or they feel like they've messed up too many times for him to love them. How could, they, how could he possibly love me after all the things that I've done? Man, the dirtiest trick that Satan ever pulled, but he's getting away with it, even in the lives of the most, you know, oldest believers. Here's what I keep hearing other people, you know, that, that have, have had these crises of, of, of prayer and their faith in their prayer. For example, John 14, uh, verse 13 says, And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. What if I ask and it doesn't do it? Okay. Anything, huge word, we both know, we, we all know that he's never going to do anything that he didn't already say. Um, if we're asking, we, I would say, be introspective, look at what you're asking for. Um, have you dug it out? Is, is it a promise? Where did he make that promise? Um, some people would say that I'm a little bit legalistic on this matter, but... If you're asking, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta look at his heart for what he's done. He's given his absolute best. Um, so often, he's actually put everything we need in our own hands, but we're still going back to him, rummaging through his pockets like a like a granddad for what more he can give us. Well, I think we have a tendency to start. I think we in our prayer life a lot. We have a tendency to treat God like a genie yeah. in a bottle. It, you know, I you wish couldn't for have this, said it better. I wish for this, boom, there it is. I wish for that, boom, there it is. And then when it's not, you know, we keep rubbing the bottle, rubbing the bottle, rubbing the bottle, and nothing's happening. And I and, and I think you kind of hit it there. You know, when you said, "What has He already done?" and "What is the will of His heart?" So, I think what <clears throat> you're saying, if, if I'm right, is that when we ask of things that are within the will of God, that we we put ourselves in the will of God, we put ourselves in his eyes, we start looking through his eyes and start thinking with his thoughts, that those things that we ask for will already be in his will because we're already thinking that way, we're already seeing that way. And so the new car and the new house and paying the bills and all that stuff is not necessarily what God's focused on. So when we start setting our mind to focus and to see and to think like he thinks, then our will starts becoming more in line with his will and our requests start becoming more in line with his, his, what he wants to give us. Does, does that sound right? Wholeheartedly agree. Um, I know that his sovereignty comes into play. Um, he's going to do what he feels is best. And if we think that we can do it better than him, we're not. <laughs> We're going to find out miserably that he's the one that's right and we're the knuckleheads. Always. Yeah, Troy, I think you're spot on. So first, John 5.14, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. <laughs> now, I, to me, it begs the question. It took me a lot of years in prayer to, to get to this question, let alone answer it. And that is, how do we know what God's will is? So should our prayer life be more about connecting with the Lord as far as finding out his will or praying our laundry list of needs and being disappointed along the way. I'm going to go vehemently for number one. Yeah. Yeah, We're we're all married here at this table. And if we just went to our wives with a laundry list of things that we wanted, how deep would our relationship with her be, you know? Well, and I love how people in, in Justin, you taught me this, you, you, you taught me how to pray with, with boldness how to approach the throne with boldness and say, you said this. Yeah. 
you promised this. You told me this. All I'm doing is coming to you, telling you what you've already told me and asking for you to deliver on what you've already promised. You taught me that. And, and I've got to, I got to tell you, when I started praying more in that way, the more I started, you know, like we were talking, getting more into understanding the will of God, seeing through his eyes, seeing through. And, and so many people say, well, I don't know. What is the will of God? What is the will of God? It's real simple. He wrote it down. Amen. <laughs> <clears throat> There's a giant book right here. You're that, my kind of guys. You know, he wrote it down. It, it's not, he didn't keep it a secret. Yeah, He's not man. hiding it under a bush somewhere. He wrote it in this book and said, here it is. Any questions you have about what is my will, what, is, what do I want for you, what do I want in this world, it's all answered right here. Um, so, you know, I, I hate it when people say, well, I just, I just don't know what God's will is. Yeah, you do. It's right here. It's right here. It's so true. Pastor Jim Scalise, the, um, that guy I spoke of earlier, I used to constantly be bothering him, you know, just all the time just whining and crying about the simplest stuff. And, and he's like... What's the matter with you? Stop dragging around on my coattails. He says, how bad do you want your answer? And he threw a Bible at me. Yeah. <laughs> he goes, it's an open book test. Go find your answer. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah I love that. It's an open book test. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. Um, you know, one of the verses that, that people quote to, um, to say, you know, oh, I deserve this, you know, and some of these um, prosperity gospel teachers and this, that, and the other, you know, one of, one of, the, one of the verses they'll quote is, Psalm 37, 4, which says, Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So, I love God. Why don't I have a Lamborghini in my front yard? I love God. Why don't all of my bills get paid at the end of the month without me having to, to work a lick? Why is it? And, and, and the more I thought about it, and tell me your thoughts, I'll tell you mine, and then you tell me yours. The more I thought about it was that if I take delight in the Lord, and, and Justin and I spoke about this the other day, if I take my delight in the Lord, he will give me the desires of my heart. Well, the desire of my heart should be taking delight in the Lord. It's, it's kind of a circle. Exactly. It's kind of a circle to me. Is that, you know, if I take delight in the Lord, then he's going to give me exactly what delights me, which is more of him. Oh, what do you think? Yes, absolutely. And when you start to get into looking at, at, at at the things of the world or whether they be needs, wants, or desires. One thing I know for sure is that he's never going to give you something that's going to take you away from him, even for a second. You know, there was countless stories of guys sitting in the front row after being delivered and, you know, came from nothing and God blesses their lives to becoming a guy owning the largest chain of dry cleaners all over the, the city of Houston. And now he becomes so exceedingly prosperous that now all of a sudden he's not there every Sunday. He's out on his boat and he's waxing his brand new Corvette. And the next thing you know, he's missing Wednesday night meetings and, and Bible studies until finally he gets caught up in something in illicit drugs or something like that. And his life gets sifted like weed and he's back in jail where he started. And then who does he turn to? <laughs> exactly. The person, or, the person he ran away from. Yeah, or who does he blame? He might blame God for all yeah, that when point. he doesn't even look in the mirror. Yeah. Is it God's fault? Well, no. I mean, he, I, I see that happening all the time. And what it seems to me, and, and you see it in, <laughs> in Hollywood a lot, uh, where these people just get everything they want. And I think their thought process is, well, you know, God didn't help me get here, so what do I need him for? God that? didn't help me get this, so what do I need him for? And he was there the whole time, and they just didn't see it. Well, they don't know him. Yeah. They, they, they clearly, they do not know him. Um, I'm not their judge, but they don't know him. If they knew him, their lives would be much different than, than they are. Uh, the thing with, with fame is dangerous. Like you had mentioned the prosperity gospel, I think that's a lot more dangerous than people think. The, I'm, I, I could stand here right now and tell you that I am a name it and claim it guy, but the big but is is that it, 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 it's, I'm not snapping my fingers or rubbing the genie in the bottle anymore. It's, it's not like that. That's not what I'm naming and claiming. Usually, I'm doing that for somebody standing standing with me who's going yeah. through something or is in a stronghold. Yeah. I like being the 
part of the answer, you know, being used by God for his purpose to get that person set free, to let them know, oh, and we discussed this, this is really, this works. Tell him what he did for you and tell him that he'll do it for them, that he doesn't pick and choose who he does it for, that he'll do it for anybody that'll believe him. One of my biggest um, fears, <laughs> it's crazy, but it is. One of my biggest fears used to be praying out loud and praying with someone. That used to be, um, most people's fears are speaking in public. I got no issue. I can stand up and talk in front of anybody. It doesn't bother me a bit. But, Justin, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Justin, totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but one of my biggest fears used to be praying out loud or praying for someone. And I remember one day in church, I was kind of forced to. Someone said, hey, we've got nobody in the back. Can you Can you go back there? And so I was doing some praying of my own as I walked to the back. You know, Lord, please don't send anybody to me. God, please don't send anybody to me. This would be a bad mistake. Please don't send anybody to me. And I remember the first person that came up, and she had a doozy. I mean, she had an absolute doozy that I was like, oh, my gosh. Uh, and and I, don't, I don't remember the next three or four or five minutes. But I remember at the end going, wow, that was really good. I didn't say a word. God spoke every word through me. Amen. Truth. And I didn't say a word Truth. and it was good. Truth. That's when that's and and just touch touch on that for a second because I know what it does to me. Describe that when he actually lets you know that he just used you for his purpose. Oh, it, it's it's the most incredible. It's priceless. Uh, you feel so humbled at that moment. But joyous. And oh yeah, and I was gonna say, yeah, humbled but but at the same time so filled that and and so appreciative that that God would use you <laughs> as a vessel for his word and for his will and for his healing on someone else's life. That that's just why would you use me? I'm this little bitty ant down here that, you know, just crawling around trying to, you know, make it and, and you used me and that's amazing. But I had to let him use me first. And that, that was the hard part for me. And it took me years to, to get to that point, to let him use me. You submitted yourself. You put yourself in a place where he could use you. Yeah. You showed up. I love saying that. Pastor Jim used to say that all the time. I just showed up. We, we had a, uh, a podcast a couple, couple of uh, episodes ago that was all about standing up. Just stand up. Show up, stand up. And then we even talked about picking up the rock, um, like David. And just, just, just show up. And he'll use you in any way he can. And sometimes you'll be absolutely and utterly amazed in the ways that he will use you. Every I mean, even at a backyard barbecue, I mean, you wouldn't be in the kingdom right now, probably if some guy didn't take the spirit initiative and start talking to you. I mean, uh, the impact that we can potentially have by just merely opening our mouth, not having the whole conversation lined out in our mind, but just start babbling and he'll take over uh troy you're very good at that by the way <laughs> but, uh, which part the babbling or letting yeah. him take over mm, the okay, first part right, you're working on the second <laughs> but uh how, how many of us wouldn't be safe now if somebody didn't take that risk yeah it's so true i mean it, it's so true I, and i i was so broken at that time that i remember that uh, I probably could have been swayed the other way had someone come and, you know, preached whatever to me. You know, when you're when you're that lost, you're just so vulnerable. And then, you know, out of nowhere, the Spirit of God shows up and says, hey, look at this perfectly good white boy. I wonder if I clean him up, uh, if he'll serve me. And set, set me up, pulled me out of the trash and... That's what it was. And yeah, but he was there the whole time. I know it. <laughs> I had a praying mom, so that that was really good. Uh, there you go. There I got a, I got another killer story for some other. Podcast, we'll, we'll save man. that for the next podcast, yeah, which, it's, which it's, I do want to. Awesome. I do want to ask you back. I I, I hope you will sit <laughs> with us again. I'm um, gonna be with you guys. I'm gonna hang around with you guys. I I I can't I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed it. Justin, today is uh, now when you hear this podcast, it'll be a week later. But today is actually Memorial Day. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so many times we get Veterans Day and Memorial Day confused where, you know, we're going to go around and, and, and thank the veterans and, and we do appreciate and love yes, our, our men and women in, in service right now. Uh, but today is more honoring those 
who fell, those who gave their lives, uh, those who, um, who paid the ultimate sacrifice so that we could stand here and, and record a podcast about, you know, God's, God's greatness. Um, in John fifteen thirteen, Jesus said, you know, greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for one's friends. And, um, I think we just need to take a moment and, and really, really think about the sacrifice that these guys and girls made for us so that we may have this freedom in this country. Even where we are now, it's still the greatest country in the world. That's true. Sure is. There's that, there's a, a, something going around that's really popular that struck home when I read it saying that only two people ever uh, considered dying for you, and that's Jesus and the American soldier. Yeah. One that's died pretty, for our freedom here on profound. earth. One died for our freedom in eternity. Oh, yeah. true um so guys like always we really appreciate you listening in um again like we always do we'd ask that you contact us our email address is exploring the way 21 at gmail.com that's exploring the way 21 at gmail.com chris thank you yeah much appreciated my honor clearly my honor indeed and thank you guys for listening we'll catch you on the next one see ya Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.